Let's uh, spend some time in prayer real quick, and then we'll jump into what God has for us this morning. Uh, Jesus, I mean, we are humbled, humbled as people who have experienced your grace, um, people that you have chosen to use. God, you could do anything you wanted to do, but yet you chose to work through us. And we're humbled that you would give us life, that you would call us to be used by you, and um, that you would call us friend and give us an inheritance. And so as we're hanging out this morning, God, we want to give you all glory, all honor. We want to give you uh, everything that is due you. And so where our hearts are pulled in ways that aren't for you, would you pull us back? Where our attention is pulled in ways that may not be glorifying to you, God, would you pull us back? Where you want to challenge us, challenge us. Where you want to encourage us, encourage us. Father, where you want to speak into our lives, would you just give us ears to hear your spirit moving this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, guys, uh, earlier this week, I was driving through town, and I think we all know uh, where the cemetery is over there on Silver Street, and I was, I was passing the cemetery, coming over uh, to, to do some work, and as I was passing by the cemetery, I just had this thought. I, I was looking at you know, all, all the things that were going on over there, and I thought, man, life is really short. I had this just image of the brevity of life, and I thought to myself, you know, how long do we actually get to live? Maybe a hundred years? Maybe 105 years, at, at best, 110 years maximum. Like, like 110 years, life is extremely short. And it made me think just personally as I was driving back, what am I living for? And then as, as a pastor who gets the privilege of, of, uh, of leading and shepherding this flock, I thought as, from, as a collective group, what is it that we're actually living for? If we have a maximum of 110 years to live, what's the, the, the best way to live those 110 years. And I thought, boy, uh, maybe we should really spend some time looking at our lives and asking the question, are we living for what matters most? I, I was reading in Joshua 20 uh, this week, and I read about the cities of, of refuge. Do you guys remember the story of Joshua about the cities of refuge or, or earlier on in the law about the cities of refuge? When uh, God was uh, talking or giving Moses directions on what Israel was supposed to, be, to do when they go over and they make it into the promised land and they go and they start um, taking possession of it, they, he gave them a task to do and it was to set up these cities of refuge. And now Joshua, he's, and Moses is gone, Joshua's in the land and now it's time to set up these cities of refuge. It's time for them to be set up. And, and what I want to do is I want to read just a, a six quick verses from Joshua 20, just to get our minds around this idea of what's happening here. So if you have your Bibles or your device with you, Joshua chapter 20 is where we are. And the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and he did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at that time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. All right, so you have these six cities that were to be set up for people who found themselves in a pretty significant, troubling place. 
They found themselves in, in a situation they probably wouldn't have liked to, to be in necessarily. They're maybe out there cutting some wood, and as they're cutting wood, the axe head flies off, and it ends up striking somebody and, and taking their life, and now there's blood on their hands. Or they get into a little bit of a tussle with somebody, and they, they didn't mean to take the person's life, but in the heat of the moment, they punched a couple too many times, or they hit a little bit too hard, and then the person dies in the middle of that tussle. And again, they've got blood on their hands. As we have uh, men and women all around the United States in prison right now because of scenarios just like these. And we call it involuntary manslaughter rather than murder in the first degree because it was what we would say is unintentional. That it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't out of, of hatred. As bad as it is, um, and no matter how we write, like it was an accident. And so Joshua, in cases like this, he sets up cities and says, hey, when somebody finds themselves in trouble like this, and they're running for their life because somebody's looking for some type of uh, retaliation, somebody wants blood for blood, or an eye for an eye, or a tooth for a tooth, and they're seeking a reckoning for the blood that's been shed, and their life is now hanging somewhere in the balance, they are to run run as fast as they can to one of these cities of, of refuge. And I love how this plays out because they are supposed to run straight to the city gate where the elders of that city typically hang out. That what Joshua said is you run to the elders of, of that city. Hey, go to them, explain what's happened, tell them your situation, give them all the details. And, and, I, and I love how scripture paints this. The elders then are to take that person in and watch over them and protect them and, and to make sure that if there's anybody coming to take their life, that they can defend them. Now, now picture this. You have a mob of people who are running after this young fellow or older fellow, and this mob is coming after this man to kill. There is blood in their eyes. And the elders stand at the city gate and they throw out their arm and say, no, you cannot take him. You cannot take his life. He is under our protection right now. And so you have these elders standing between this person who is running away from somebody who is seeking their life. The picture here is that wherever the elders of the city go, that person goes. That person is attached right to their hip. It's like a kid who is around his dad and he's attached himself to his dad because he knows that if he's on his daddy's hip, that there is no trouble that's going to come his way. Nothing can happen to him as long as he's attached to his daddy. There was safety when the kid's attached to the daddy. There was safety for the person who ran to the city gate and who was protected by the elders of that city. You know what I find interesting when I read this? It's interesting that God had a plan for people who would mess up. Think about that. God had already set a plan to, to, to be involved in somebody's life when they get in trouble and when they mess up. And I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing that, that the God of all knowledge, who's created all things, who knows all things, that he knew that we would need a place to run when things got rough. That we would need a place to run to, a place of refuge when we found ourselves in trouble or when we found ourselves in sin and when we found ourselves in need of getting help. Because the reality was, these guys that Josh or these guys that are being talked about in this passage, they needed refuge. They messed up. They weren't running to the city of refuge because they heard that there was some kind of sell on bread. Or that there, that there was a sale on a piece of land. They were running to the city of refuge because there was somebody who was chasing after them and wanted to kill them. 
They, they were running for their lives. There were people who were looking for their blood. Like, I, I, I thought about this, and I felt like it was like this old-school mafia movie. Like there was a hit that was put out on their life, and they're walking around like, you know, it, it is what it is. That's, that's, that's how this works. You, you, you hit us, we hit you back, and we hit you back harder. It is what it is. I, I know I know you. I know you know me. But you took life, and we were coming after you. Now listen, I think if we're being honest, we can admit that we've messed up too. That we've found ourselves in troubling situations. That we've found ourselves in places that we wouldn't like to be. I would guess in, in, in our little space here that none of us have taken a life, or most of us haven't taken a life, I, I think. Um, but the reality is, we've got our own sin that we deal with. We've got our own thing that we've thrown ourselves into. And scripture tells us over and over again that there is not one of us who hasn't messed up, that who hasn't found ourselves in some place needing our, to, to run and to seek help. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls it sin. Sin is any disobedience to the will and the heart of God. Anything that breaks a relationship and that wedges the gap between a good and a mighty father who is perfect in heaven, perfect in life, perfect in any scenario that he's ever in, any break in that relationship is sin. And I think Romans 3.23 says it the most clear as we would ever see. It says that all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And what's True of this verse, as Paul writes this, is that he doesn't give any exclusions here. Like, some of us have sinned, or maybe three-quarter of us have sinned, but there's a quarter of us who have it, and like we've kind of figured out how it works, and we, we know how to, to work the system, and we're somehow going to be okay when everything shakes out at the end. Paul doesn't qualify our sin. He just simply says, all of us have sinned. The Bible is going to say over and over again that we were enemies of God. All of us were enemies of, of God. That every intention of man's heart was evil. Everything that we put our hands to was, was evil. It calls us enemies of God. That we were, we were playing for the wrong team, that we were walking in darkness. And when we think about our sin, Scripture paints a really bleak picture of what life without Christ actually looks like. And then if you go a little further in the book of Romans, you land in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and Paul says that the penalty for that sin was death. If you take a life, you give your life. It was an eye for an eye. It was a tooth for a tooth. It was blood for blood. That's how it worked. And how it works now is that sin is going to keep us locked up in this constant place of retaliation where there is just death upon death. Sin is relentless. And the death that comes along with sin, it is relentless too. And so we didn't just sin and somehow things are going to end up being okay. We sin and death was coming for us. That's the way that scripture paints this. Like we messed up, we found ourselves in trouble and the result of that was death and it was fleeing after us and we need to find ourselves running for a place of refuge. I heard this my whole life when I was growing up. I grew up in Sunday school and great Sunday school teachers would tell you about Jesus and, and how he gave his life for us and how he took our sin to the cross and I heard it there and I heard it from friends growing up but it wasn't until I found myself in some pretty dark holes that God opened up my eyes and he was gracious and good to me and said, hey, 
where you're at is not okay. Uh, where, what you're doing is, is, is not okay. And, and this is where the cities of refuge come in, in, into play. Because you know what I find interesting? Again, it's interesting that God had a plan for people who would mess up. God had a plan for people who would find themselves in sin. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that the God of all knowledge who's created all things knew that we would need a place to run and to run fast to to find help. And so when we read the New Testament, we see that God provided a city of refuge for us. It wasn't just the Old Testament. He provided a city of refuge for us in Jesus Christ. And guys, I absolutely love this picture when we get to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says, that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were fleeing for our lives with blood on our hands, while we were falling headlong into sin, caught with our hands in the cookie jar, what scripture says is that Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He saw us, he loved us. He gave his life for us. He laid down his life so that we might take on, on his. And what Peter says, he says that this was an exchange of the righteous for the unrighteous. The perfect one dying for the murderer. And guys, this is a, this is a picture of Jesus standing at the city gate. Standing there in the wall waiting, taking his place as a city elder and saying, you can't have him. He's standing there as you run to him, standing and fighting for you. You can't. I know that you've got blood in your eyes. I know that you've got blood on your hands, but you cannot have him. He is in my guard, in my protection. So come on, run to me. Get in here and let me protect you. Come attach yourself to my hip. Hide in the cover of my wing. Hide under the blood that I have paid for you. Better yet, take my life for yours. Let me take your penalty. Let me take your sin and give you my life. Just get in here and run to me. Run to the city of refuge. But listen, guys, it does no good to have a city of refuge and a place to run to if we don't run to it. And earlier this week, I've passed by hundreds of graves. None of them, I'm guessing, ever thought that the, the, the last breath that they, ble- they breathed would be the actual last breath that they breathed while they were here on this earth. All of them thinking, maybe at some point, you know what, I think I probably have a little bit more time. Yeah, I, I see you running after me. I see you calling me to run to you for refuge, but I'm going to get there. I just, just give me a little bit more time. All the while, the penalty of death is looking for retaliation, and it's knocking on the door. And the way that scripture defines this is that sin is crouching at our door. Death is crouching at our door, waiting to devour us, waiting to have its way in our lives. And when we look at Joshua chapter 20 here, they had to run to the city of refuge. The person who was, had blood on their own hands, they had to run to the city of refuge to get away from the person who was seeking retaliation because they were coming to kill them. If they stayed where they were, listen to me, If they stayed where they were and they didn't run to the city of refuge, they would die there. If God has been so gracious to us and he's allowed us to recognize that we need Jesus, 
that he is our only refuge and that we need his refuge, but we stay where we are. The reality the scripture paints for us, it's not a happy picture. It's a pretty bleak picture. If we stay where we are, when Jesus has tried to set us free, we will die in our sin. And so we need Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Look, look at like we need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We cannot do this life on our own. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot pay for the blood that was on our hands. The only way that that can be made clean, the only way that is done is that we run to the city of of refuge or we will die in our sins. Guys, I've, I've played the game. I've lived long enough. I've been around the church long enough. I know the right things to say. I know how to hide sin. I know how to hide what's going on in my heart. I know how to hide what's happened in my past. I know how to play the game. I'm guessing that I'm not the only one who knows how to say the right things when we've been around the church long enough. But this is a call to stop playing the game and to run to the city of refuge. And so my thought is, what is it that we need to to run to refuge for? Right? What is it? Like Tony hit on it a little bit ago when he was standing up here. Like if there is something going on in our life, man, we don't have to carry that. If you're a believer in Christ, he says, lay that down. Run to me. Rest in me. Rest in the shadow of me. Rest in my protection. Rest in my life. Rest in your identity in Christ. Rest in what you've done. Or rest away from what you've done in, 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 in Christ. Where are the things that we are laying ourselves out in that we need to let go and flee from and run to Christ. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that means whoever realizes, man, I am dying and sin is is killing me and they run to Jesus. Scripture says they will be saved and they'll be given new life. And the way that Paul talks about this in Romans chapter eight is that if you run to Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you have been set free. He's going to say again to the Corinthians, he's going to say to the Colossians that you are a brand new creation, that you're not the old person. You are new. You've made new. You've been given a brand new identity. And John's going to say in first John chapter one, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what that is? That's Jesus saying, run to me. I'll give you the life that you never knew that you needed. I'll give you the life that, I've, that, that, that my son died for or that I died for. Because I, I, I want to I, I be bold enough this morning to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. Now, as I was driving past the the graves, the cemetery this week, I just thought, man, there is nothing else that's more important than you knowing who Jesus is. There's nothing else more important. Like, what could we spend our life going after if Jesus isn't a part? And so I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, to have a relationship with him this morning, if you've never trusted him as your savior, I want to invite you to run to the city of refuge. In a minute, I'm I'm going to call us to that place together. And I want to ask you to get honest with the Lord. That if you've never stepped into his grace, if you've never swam in the ocean of his mercy and his grace, that you would dive into that this morning. There's going to be a, a young gal who's going to come up here in just a few minutes. And we are going to baptize her. And she realized 
Man, there is nothing that I could do in and of my own self to save myself that I needed Jesus. We had a great conversation yesterday about this and she is gonna get up here and she's gonna demonstrate through baptism what Jesus has done on the inside of her heart for the community of faith, for you to be encouraged and also for you to be challenged uh, as, as well. And we haven't done this here, I don't think, since, since I've been here. But we want to go even a step further than just calling you to salvation. We want to we invite you into the obedience of baptism as well. And so if you are a believer in Christ and you've never been baptized, right? Uh, maybe you were baptized before you got saved and maybe you were baptized at another time, but then you actually came to Christ and you haven't followed in baptism, what we want to do is we want to invite you into the obedience of believers' baptism this morning. And so we're going to give you an opportunity too. You say, well, I didn't bring any clothes. I didn't bring a towel or anything else like that. Uh, we have extra towels up here. If We want you to follow the Lord and, and trust in Christ, but we also want you to follow in the obedience of, of baptism as well. And where do we get that precedent? Well, I love the story of the Ethiopian eunuch uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, there's a, there's a, uh, an Ethiopian who's, um, who's sitting in uh, his chariot, and he's reading the scriptures. And he has no idea. He, has, he doesn't understand what he's reading. And, and Philip comes by, and he sees him over here, and, and he calls out to him. He's like, hey, do you know what you're reading? And, and he says, well, no, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And he says, okay, great. I'll come over and I'll, and I'll tell you about what the scriptures mean about what you're reading. And so he goes and he, and he points out the scriptures that he's reading, that they're all pointing to Jesus. And he reasons with him from the Old Testament. He points him to Jesus. And so this man, in this moment uh, of hearing the gospel, he trusts Jesus. And then his very next words are, well, what's to keep me from being baptized right now? And Phil's like, well, nothing. He says, well, let's go do it right now. And so from the moment that he trusts Christ, he leaves there and he goes and gets baptized. And so I want to invite anybody who's um, trusted Jesus this morning to step into the obedience of baptism. But I also, again, I want to be bold enough to ask you, as clear as we can, if you have never trusted Jesus, what are you waiting on? We maximum have 110 years to live. What else could we give our life to? What else is more important than the decision that we would make for Jesus in this moment? And this is not a high pressure kind of a deal. This is, we are dealing with life and death. We are dealing with an eternity that's coming up. There is a reality that one day we'll fill up space in a ground unless Jesus comes back first. And what we did while we're here actually matters. And so I want to invite you to pray with me uh, just, just now and allow the Spirit to do a little bit of work on your heart. Father, there is nothing glamorous about death. There is uh, nothing um, glamorous um, about running in sin. There, there's nothing glamorous about us believing that we could somehow save ourselves or that this life isn't going to come to an end. When we talk about sin, this stirs up things inside of us and makes us think, well, gosh, that feels hard or gosh, that, that feels... Like, that wasn't what I was expecting today. But Father, the reality you know that we deal with is that sin is crouching at our door and its desire is to eat our lunch. It's to devour us. And it's to seek the blood of retaliation for the sin that's in our life previously. But yet you sent your son Jesus to die for us. 
to cleanse us, to give us hope in the future, to give us a brand new identity, to give us life, to, so that there would be no more condemnation for us and so that we can walk in newness of life. And so, Father, where we have men and women or children in the room who haven't yet trusted Jesus, I want to ask that you would work on their hearts this morning, that you would allow them to call out to you, to cry out to you, to run to the place of refuge in Jesus that has that set us free, that has taken what was due us. And so if, if you have never trusted Jesus in, it, throughout your life, I'm going to ask you this morning to trust Jesus. And so if that's you, I'd, I want to say a quick prayer. And the prayer doesn't save you. It's just simply you crying out to the Lord. And so if you want to trust Jesus here, let's do it. Father, I am a sinner. I recognize that I'm a sinner. My sin has separated me from you. And the wages of my sin is death. I deserve to die. But by your grace and your mercy, you sent Jesus that even while I was a sinner, he died for me. He ran to me and he welcomes me into his house. He welcomes me into his family. He gives me a seat at the table and he calls me his. And so, Father, I trust what Jesus did on the cross for me. I trust the life and the promise that you've given to me because of Jesus. And I accept him now. And I want to live my life as a disciple and a follower of Jesus. I'm going to live my life in obedience to what you call me to. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And so if that's you and you've trusted Jesus this morning, I'm going to say praise God and welcome to the family. Praise God. And I want to talk to you if you've never been baptized. If you've never been baptized, this is the step of obedience for you. If you've trusted Christ, what are you waiting on? You say, well, that was a long time ago. And I would be a bit embarrassed if I, if I stood up and I, and I came to the water now because there's been such a gap where I'm older and there's kids who have been baptized. I want you to know the Ethiopian eunuch was a man, okay? He wasn't a young child. Like he came to Christ and he said, what's to prevent me from being baptized? Nothing. Let's go get this done. Let's step into obedience. And then we follow in obedience for the rest of our life as a follower and a disciple of Jesus. And so if you've never been baptized as a believer, today's the day. What are you waiting on? So I want to ask uh, Allie uh, to go ahead and, and come on up and her family. And we are going to do uh, a baptism this morning. And then uh, what's going to happen is uh, Tony and the team, they're going to come up right after we do Allie's baptism. And they are going to play a song. And, and here, here's what, I, man, I, I've been praying for you all week, okay? I, I don't know what the Lord is doing. I, I don't know if you've trusted Christ. I don't know if you need to be baptized. But if the Lord is stirring in you, what's going to happen is while they're playing the song, I'm going to stand right back there in the back. And if you've trusted Christ and you want to be baptized this morning, hey, we want to get you baptized this morning. We want you to step into obedience. If you've been a believer and yet you've said today is the day, come back there and talk to me. We want you to follow in obedience of baptism this morning. It's ready. It's here. Let's do it. Okay? All right, Allie, are you ready? Go ahead and step in. She said last night that she wanted the water to be warm. She didn't want it too hot. She didn't want it too cold. She just wanted it to, uh, to be nice and warm. How's it feel? Did we, did we meet it? Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Um, so Allie and I, we, we had a conversation uh, last night. Um, Shane, uh, her dad, uh, came in and um, first of all, I, I knocked on his Broncos a little bit and just kind of you know had to break the ice. But then Allie and I just had a good conversation about how the su- how the summer was going and the things that she was looking forward to, and and then we just kind of got into some serious conversation about what Jesus has has been doing in her life. And uh, she was actually um, they they've talked about baptism uh, uh, you know over the past uh, couple of years a couple of years and wanted to make sure that she knew what she was doing uh, what baptism actually is that baptism wasn't salvation that baptism was showing what was what God had already done in your life and the representation of being buried with Him and risen with Him and um, and so uh, we we had that conversation last night and I was confident that she knew exactly what she was doing and I am so excited Allie. Um, to baptize you um, this this morning as my sister uh, in Christ. Um, and so, do you want to say anything? Anybody? I forgot to grab a microphone, but if you do, you can talk real loud. Um, why, why do you want to be baptized today? <laughs> she, you guys are scaring her. Why do you guys look so scary? No. Um, Last night um, when we were talking, she said the reason why she wanted to be baptized uh, today was that she wanted to show everybody what God had done in her life. Um, and, and I just thought about that. And I thought, man, that is, that is the right heart. And I just thought about the encouragement that baptism, that a child's baptism is to the whole entire body in the community. And so, Allie, I'm going to uh, baptize you uh, this morning as my sister in Christ. And so, because you have made a profession of faith in Jesus, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and cover your nose. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for uh, this, um, this young gal. I'm just so encouraged uh, by her faith, uh, uh, just the way that she shared, how she's learning from other people and the books that she's reading and just being encouraged to be baptized, being encouraged to walk faithfully with Jesus. And I'm so encouraged by her. And so I pray that over the next uh, days of her life and the years of her life as um, the struggle to walk forward in obedience is just intense in the world that we live in, God, that you would just give her a simple faith, that you would give her grace each day to sustain that you would give her mercy in the steps that hit the side of the road, and that you would call her back to you day in and day out. And so, Father, as she makes a daily choice to follow you, I pray that you would just be sweet to her. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.